Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Pixels. This is a gaming show, if you didn't know it. And this episode is a special on BlizzCon 2019. My name is Patrick Beja, and I just spent two days running around like a madman trying to get as much as I could from the announcements, from the game um, trials, the demos. And it was a lot of fun. It was a really good BlizzCon. I uh, played everything that they had to offer, and uh, I'm excited about a lot of it. So I'm going to um, talk about a number of things. So the way this episode is going to work is that we have uh, different segments about different games. Some of them, I talk about them um, alone, and some of them, we talk about them with um, uh, guests and uh Hopefully, that is going to be fun for you. Before I launch into those segments, um, I do want to address a little bit of the beginning of the con, because, of course, the controversy about Blitzchung and um, his statement about Hong Kong was looming over the uh, few days before the conference started. And uh, the way it started, I think, was uh, really interesting Jay Allen Brack, the president of Blizzard, came out with his hair down and uh, addressed the issue before the conference even started. And uh, that is something that I uh, have stated, that I had stated in many different places that I thought was necessary and that I needed as a player um, to be able to appreciate what would come next as much as I was hoping uh, I would because, you know, I, I love this stuff. This is uh, something that I'm very passionate about, but the issue was something that was weighing on uh, on my mind. Um, I, I couldn't just forget about it. And I think the way he addressed it was pretty appropriate. Actually, if you listen to uh, a show like The Instance, um, you will realize, you will know that I act my what I said. Uh, I thought would be appropriate was pretty much exactly what he said. Of course, it, it's important uh, to note that um, there are some people who think it is not appropriate. I'll go into the details in a second, but people who think it wasn't appropriate and it wasn't enough. And the thing is that. I think the expectations or the demands of those people are not very realistic or reasonable, one or the other, or maybe sometimes both. Um, I think there are two things that people are saying that should have happened. I've, one, not really, but it's like in the realm of uh, uh, poss potential possibilities, however slim they are. Blizzard retires from China. You know, that's a way of protesting what's happening in China that I guess could maybe be conceivable. 
And again, what, when we start to, talking about these things in such grand scale, it's not about Hong Kong, just Hong Kong anymore. It's the issue of uh, the way China is becoming more and more totalitarian. Um, and that is way beyond just Blizzard, way beyond games. It's tech, it's uh, politics, economy, it's a bunch of things. So that, I, regardless of all of that, I think Blizzard pulling out of China is not a conversation that we can reasonably entertain. Um, the other thing is to reverse the ban for uh, Blitzchung and maybe the, the, the casters as well, of course. And again, that I don't think is reasonable. I think there are people who are making the argument, which I can understand that this is a free speech issue. So it's what, what he said is acceptable because it's the good kind of political things that he said. And I can completely understand that argument. I just think that the precedent that it set and uh, the position it bl puts Blizzard in of arbitrating what is acceptable to say and what isn't acceptable to say is an impossible position, as we're seeing in you know the issues that all of the tech giants are having. It's just... It will never work. And we've seen, or maybe not it will never work, but all of those companies that are, whose core um, activity is to get people to communicate, aren't managing to uh, make anything satisfactory because it's impossible to decide for a company, for anyone to decide essentially on morality of what is okay to say and what it isn't. And while... Many people, probably most people, myself included, um, probably think that what Bliss Chung was saying is, let's say, good. Um, it For the future, if they say, okay, he's not banned anymore, um, even with the reduced six-month ban, um, we'll, we'll waive that, then they, they make a precedent. And they put themselves into a position to decide if someone else says something else, okay, is this something that is quote-unquote good or bad? And that is, I mean, it is such a shit show. If you think that Blizzard should do this, I really think that you... Uh, doing this, meaning waving the ban. Maybe the ban should be brought down to three months. Maybe that would be more reasonable. But waving it completely, if you think they should do this and put themselves in this position, set this precedent for the future... I really think you're not being reasonable. I really think you're misunderstanding how difficult a position that is to be in, especially for a company um, which is about making games. They're not Facebook. They're not Twitter. They're not the you know a, a TV channel. Their job is not to communicate stuff. Or I mean, it's part of their job, of course, but their core focus is to make games. So I really think that the argument that they should unban uh, Blitzchung is <clears throat> ill-advised, is ill-conceived, because sure, it could be good now, but down the line, the precedent is very damaging to everything that they do. Um, so, yeah, I don't think they should completely uh, uh, unban him. I think setting the uh, rule that if you do talk about political stuff, you get a three or six-month ban, whatever, is a rule that they can apply uniformly that is not contestable, although, you know, like it doesn't bring 
the question of what they said is either good or bad. And those lines will be blurred. You know they would be because they are being blurred. We are seeing this uh, every day. And so I think that in that context, the ban should remain. What J. Albrecht said was appropriate. Um, what he said was, we messed up the uh, communication around this. We acted too quickly, uh, subtext too harshly to begin with. And then it took us too long to rectify it. Um, and I take full responsibility for this. I messed up. So I think that was, there's a subtlety there. He's not saying we shouldn't have banned Liz Chung. Uh, they, they, that is, I think, as I just explained, uh, that's not what he's saying and that's not what I was expecting. Um, I think what he's saying is um, we should have been more prepared for something like that and have a more clear and fair way of addressing it from the get-go, because I think everyone agrees, even people who are vehemently against this um, at this stage, most people agree, I think, that if they had just implemented a six-month ban from the beginning um, with more clear communication, then it wouldn't have been as big a deal. So there's a little bit of a disconnect there with people who think, you know, well, I understand that this these kinds of ban can happen. I disagree with uh, the, the characterization of the message as being negative, but blah, blah, blah. So um, I think the way they handled the communication is what he was uh, apologizing for, taking responsibility for, and uh, that is uh, fair. But it only works... If that's it, if it, he stops there, I think it's not enough. It only works if he continues on to the next part. Uh, again, it's something I, I outlined in on the instance and a few other places. So obviously it works for me because that's what I thought they should do. Um, the next part is saying, that being said, um, we encourage people to talk about stuff. And he addressed this a little bit. You know, not directly, but essentially what he said was, um, you can say whatever you want here. You can say whatever you want around the conference. And there were protesters to whom I, I talked to um, quite a bit, really interesting stuff. Um, they were protesting in a obviously very peaceful manner. They were very friendly um, not in love with what Blizzard has done, of course, but uh, saying to people, you know, we don't want to ruin your fun. We want you to be informed, which is exactly, I think, what should come out of this. Um, they should... People who are angry about this, I understand being angry at Blizzard, but I think that energy would be much better used and directed at getting informed about what's happening in Hong Kong, in China in general, and, you know, what can be done about it, all of that. Because I suspect, and I might be cynical here, but I suspect a lot of people who are spending a lot of time being angry on Twitter and on Reddit and whatever about this have not taken the time to inform themselves, to go to a local uh, organization, to uh, read up on this from trusted, reliable sources. And that's the supreme irony. If you're angry about this and you're still angry about this and you haven't sought out information about Hong Kong, I, I, I'll be honest, I have very little time for you. It's the productive aspect of this might be to be angry at Blizzard. I'm not saying don't be angry at Blizzard. 
I disagree, but after this this BlizzCon, but if you're if you've just done that, then there is a uh, um, uh, hypocrisy, irony, however you want to put it, in in that uh, uh, behavior that I think is telling. Um, so anyway, he, what he said was there are we uh, um, encourage people to speak out. I can't remember the exact words he used, but uh, just in the way that Moheim, when he came out and, and addressed um, Gamergate, he didn't say Gamergaters are a-holes. You know, he, he wasn't like, that movement sucks. What he said was, we should be positive and be good to one another. We should uh, not be pointing at each other and antagonizing each other. I, again, I can't remember the exact word he used, but he never said Gamergate. He wasn't like pointing fingers. And in the same way, the way Brack uh, did it at this uh, opening, uh, before the opening ceremony was saying, um, we hope, you know, you'll see that we're committed to freedom of speech as you walk around uh, here, around, you know, in the con and in many places, you'll see many opinions expressed. And that's great. I, again, he didn't use those exact words, but essentially the subtext was, there are people protesting for Hong Kong rights here. Go talk to them, check it out, you know, hear what they have to say. So that was exactly what I was hoping for. And when, I think just once during the World of Warcraft Q&A, there were a couple of people um, who shouted free Hong Kong, one at the end of a question and one it was a little kid, maybe eight or nine years old, who was walking around. Um, Taliesin, who you'll hear a little bit later, handled it very well. You know, he was like, when the person screamed, uh, uh, shouted uh, free Hong Kong, it was like, right on. Okay, cool, excellent, we've heard you. And when the kid was walking around, he went to them and uh, he said, hey, do you have a question? He said, free Hong Kong another time. And yeah, that was that was great. It's at, at this point when everyone is being, uh, uh, you know, enabled in their expression of this issue. And there was <clears throat> a group at the entrance of the con um, just before the check-in and, you know, security check. Um, and that's where I took pictures, talked to them, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Everyone was talking about it, you know? Well, I mean, not everyone, but everyone could uh, uh, access that and their voices were being heard. So at that point, I think it becomes a little bit difficult to continue um, ostracizing or, or criticizing Blizzard for the BlitzCon thing, the BlitzChunk thing, because free Hong Kong, if the, the idea is that to allow this message to get heard well it's been it's been heard and it's great and everyone agrees so the one contention point is please don't make the uh, tournaments um political but if you want to that's essentially what they said if you want to talk about this on social media on your streams on your we won't ban you for that um uh, that's the subtext i understand and um he said you know we have to um, our actions will speak louder than our words. And what I took this to mean was, we're not going to ban you if you do stuff outside of the tournaments, which is, you know, significant because they have been and there have been uh, um, 
frustrating examples of, well, frustrating, that's where it comes to deciding what is good or bad. When some players on, you know, different games, different companies, but I think including Blizzard, have expressed misogynistic or um, homophobic, racist comments, they have been banned. I'm thinking about the Overwatch League. Um, they have been banned uh, and, you know, they got strikes in the league and stuff like that because they had done it on a stream. And that was a big question as well. So what are they going to do if that happens again? I, I, I think if, if Hong Kong comes up, um, definitely they will not ban anyone. So we, we kind of bump into the issue of um, deciding what is bannable and what isn't. But what is for certain is that they don't want to have to deal with that during the tournaments on the uh, official uh, um, uh, elements of that. And again, I think that's completely understandable. So anyway, that was uh, the introduction of the, the conference. And from then, uh, them and I uh, could move on to the actual games. I'll add one last thing. If you disagree with my interpretation of all this, I'm very happy to hear from you. Um, if you agree, I'm very happy to hear from you as well and uh, for you to tell me how reasonable and uh, balanced you think I am. But um, if you disagree, I'm happy to hear from you, but please don't yell. Uh, please don't just repeat the same thing endlessly. I addressed a lot. Uh, this is probably the biggest segment of the um, entire show. I think I addressed a lot of the issues. Just don't come and repeat the same thing if I addressed it. If you have something new to bring, if you have a, a you know remarks on what I said, very happy to hear them. But I'm stepping away a little bit from the endless circle, circle, uh, uh, circular conversations uh, on Twitter and, and these types of media, which I think are more destructive than productive. And um, yeah, I actually had a thread on Twitter about something like that, which was really interesting, which I think I might address on the Phileas Club, the other show I do in English, um, maybe as an editorial for uh, patrons because there was some interesting stuff that happened there and after I posted a long thread about it. So we'll see. We'll see if I have time to do that. So anyway, uh, now that this is addressed, uh, the games, Diablo 4, Overwatch 2, uh, Hearthstone, a bunch of super exciting stuff happened uh, and we will be talking about them to you just now. Hey all, so I'm here with Riker, who is a Diablo YouTuber I've been following for a long time. How's it going, dude? I'm doing well. Hey folks, how are we all doing? <laughs> I love that you have your YouTuber voice. <laughs> we were chatting before and you were like sounding normal, and now I'm, I feel like I'm, I'm watching one of your videos. Um, can you introduce yourself for the audience uh, real quick? Sure, yeah. So I'm a, uh, a gaming YouTuber and streamer with a main focus on Diablo content, a little bit of general Blizzard content. I started off actually as a Dungeons & Dragons content creator. That's always been my biggest passion in life since I was, you know, uh, an adolescent. But Reaper of Souls released for the expansion for Diablo 3. And um, I started leaning into some Diablo content, and that's what exploded my channel. Yeah, I, I, I don't remember exactly when I started uh, watching your channel, but it uh, was a, a few years ago, and uh, I love the, how much into the details and nitty-gritty you get. Um, and so today, 
or yesterday was a pretty exciting day for you because uh, Diablo is coming back. Diablo 4 announcement, first of all, uh, I guess you knew it was going to happen. We all had, you know, the rumors. Um, how did you feel on that day when it's finally here? Man, so <laughs> the past year of my life has been leading up to this, arguably the past several years. You know, we've been making Diablo 4 speculation videos for a long time. And this was the first year, though, that I was like, okay, this is the first time that I'm pretty sure it's going to happen. In the past, it was always like, maybe they'll do it. But after last year, you know, it seemed like that they were going to be doing it, the D4 reveal. It didn't happen. We got Immortal instead. And I figured, okay, they have to do it in 2019. And so it's just been preparing for, for yesterday, the, the big day. Honestly, I was a bit shell-shocked, I guess. I wasn't able to fully process. I was in journalist mode and not in fan mode. But later back at the hotel, I went back. I watched you know, some of the footage and got to experience the emotions a little more. But, yeah, it, it, it's just it's awesome that we can finally celebrate as a community. And from what they've shown, especially that first cinematic, Everyone seems happy with, with at least the art direction, the story direction. They've absolutely nailed that horror vibe that people missed from Diablo. So it's just exciting times. I'm, I'm really happy that everyone is happy again. Last year, it was sad times. Yeah, it, it, it certainly feels like they've gotten it right. And it feels great to be able to celebrate it all together and not have this kind of dark cloud looming over uh, everyone. Which... By the way, I will say, uh, before we get into Diablo 4, which we will, um, I ended up uh, trying out Diablo Immortal. I wasn't here last year, so I didn't get my hands on it before, but I was very pleasantly surprised. And I think maybe it's because everyone's happy, so it's okay to be happy about Immortal. But even though it's not necessarily, uh, uh, you know, I'm not into phone games, just like many people here, um, it's still... I wasn't. I was expecting it to be. Well, it's a phone game. It's cool, but it's a phone game. In the end, it was like, you know what? It's Diablo three on a phone, and it works, and it's clever, and it's well designed, and the cooldowns based uh, abilities work. You don't have to worry about resources or anything like that. So, I I think I might like Immortal, but um, I don't know. What, just very quickly, your feelings on on that game. So I haven't had a chance to try the demo this year, which is an upgraded version since last year. Last year, we didn't have items. So now items are dropping. And honestly, like nine, last year, 19 out of 20 people that I spoke to that actually tried the game only had positive things to say. The only negative thing was, I don't like mobile games. It's good for a mobile game, but I don't like mobile games. And that's, that's my feelings as well. I'm just, I've been a PC gamer all my life. I never really got into consoles. I'm trying to branch out a little bit. <laughs> You know, I'm trying to have a, a more open mind these days. But, um, yeah, no, it was solid for what it is. My main concerns with mobile is I'm not good with my thumbs, and my phone battery dies really fast. But <laughs> otherwise, you know, the mechanics felt crisp. There was a lot of cool things, actually, in Immortal, these skill combinations. And I'm like, damn, I wish this would come to Diablo 3. You cast one spell, and then you cast another spell on it, and it has some cool interaction. I thought that was a really innovative mechanic that I would love to see come to D3. I think if they had announced Immortal for PC and mobile, it would have been better received. But yeah, again, most people that try it, they say it's good. Most people just write it off because it's mobile and they don't give it a chance. Yeah. 
Yeah, so I guess maybe people listening might end up uh, being surprised by, by it as well. We'll see. But yeah, the main event is definitely Diablo 4. And I guess what they opened with beyond the cinematic, which was <laughs> chills everywhere, um, was that idea that they are uh, going back to a darker theme, but that doesn't mean that they are uh, uh, forgetting about what Diablo um, 3 brought to the, the franchise. And that's certainly, I'm a Diablo 3 player. I never really got into Diablo 1 or 2 and spent hundreds of hours on Diablo 3, even before Reaper of Souls. And, um, and I wasn't lost. You know, it felt like, the, the kind of the core of the game I like, but made differently. Um, in general, uh, I don't know if, actually, I don't know if you uh, really enjoyed Diablo uh, 1 and 2, um, but <laughs> I can guess you did. How do you feel about 4 and, and where it's going overall? So overall, the gameplay build that we have, it's an early build. If you look back on the first gameplay footage of D3 versus release, it became more polished. There was a lot more to it. So I try to frame things with that in mind, but one thing that they've definitely retained from D3 is that fluidity of combat. I think that's probably the thing that D3 did best than any other Diablo game, possibly any other ARPG. Just the feel of combat is really good and smooth and fluid, and they carry that so far into D4. Um, and the introduction of the elements from D1 and D2, it's more, again, the darker themes and maybe the way skills work. But the moment-to-moment -moment feel, which is what D3 did best, I feel like that's what they're retaining from D3. So what did you like best uh, in that Diablo 4 level we had? It can be, you know, anything, gameplay, story, whatever. What, what really struck you? Oh, man. Well, so first off, getting to play Druid again after a long time away. Druid was my first high-level character in Diablo 2. My very first character was a Necromancer, and it didn't make it very far, but the the Druid, the shape-shifting, very interesting. The darker take on the Druid, very cool. The the thematics, I think that's what I enjoyed most, was the, the more grounded, almost real-world lore, the Celtic inspirations. You can see, like, this feels like a more realistic game, which is what Diablo 2 felt like. D3 took things in a more blizzard wow direction of the exaggerated stylized proportions and artwork and that's cool it's epic but it's not horrific it's not dark and that's what people really wanted from from d2 i thought the world boss was really was really interesting we managed to kill it. i didn't expect it because the way they hyped it it sounded like it was just going to destroy us completely but we got i think 10 20 people managed to just come around we took out that boss and it was still he nearly one shot me several times it took me down to like five percent health so it was a pretty epic fight it was nice to fight something that wasn't just well this is just plowing through things you know we like it's we call it a speed meta we like speeding through and killing just hordes and hordes hundreds of monsters but it's also nice to have a real challenge sometimes that's uh, actually, there are a couple of things in there that I think are worth uh, talking about a little bit more. First, the social aspect is surprisingly seamless and enjoyable, I thought. Um, unlike what's happened in games before, you don't have to join or create an open game, or at least that's what happens in the demo. You just start playing. And then you see people around uh, around you who don't necessarily interact with you, but who will uh, cooperate to do a, a small world event or something like that. And it's very seamless. It made me think of uh, Destiny a little bit. It's not MMO, but it is bringing people together very seamlessly. And that felt really good. I really, I, I really liked that aspect of it. It was a little bit new. 
Yeah, so one thing that they never specified, they never stated anything MMO, despite some obvious MMO-influenced features, such as the shared world. I suppose, you know, the M, the first M, the massive, we don't know the exact scope of how many players they intend to have in one area, but... It, it felt like, from the demos, it, it felt like maybe 10, 15, not 100, 100, right? That's true, yeah. So, in the past, I've... I've not hidden the fact that I'm not into MMOs in general. I've tried dozens back in the WoW days. WoW was my favorite MMO that I did try, but I, it didn't stick with me long. And one thing that I didn't want to see happen in D4, if they were to go a sort of MMO-y route, was the shared outer world where there's just a bunch of other people milling around, and it makes the world feel docile to me. When I play an MMO and I just see there's, okay, there's those mobs over there, just don't get in their aggro range, they won't come, or if you run, just run by them and they'll stop chasing you, and there's like a bunch of people like farming a boss. It just feels like a very docile world, which I don't want Diablo to feel like. Diablo always felt very menacing. You leave town. And what is it in Diablo 2? Uh, you know, as soon as you walk out of your first town, your character says something, and it's, it's just indicative of the atmosphere you're going to feel. The world out there is dangerous. And I feel it hard to have the world feel dangerous when you got a bunch of people going around just plowing through all the monsters and they're not a threat. It felt, though, so far in the gameplay from D4 that, that they've managed to execute on that in such a way that you're not running into a bunch of players. You see some occasionally, but they don't really interfere with your experience, and they really come together for those big world bosses, and that's actually really cool that you feel like, okay, well, now it's not people making, you know, this, this, this giant crazy monster into something that is uh, just a right Trivial. Act. Trivial, exactly. Uh, it's a real threat, and it makes sense that we got all these heroes, or not even heroes, just people, ragtag group coming together to take it on. So I thought it was well implemented so far, but we'll see. Yeah, it, it definitely felt like it was people congregate, congregating around world events or uh, things that happened there, but they weren't crowding you. They weren't everywhere, and you could still feel. It remains to be seen if we'll have a completely solo mode, offline mode. Um, we'll see if they want to force us into a, a shared world experience. Um, getting back to gameplay for a little bit, To me, having very little experience with one and two, it felt like three, but on a slower, more deliberate uh, pace with less sparkles flying everywhere, um, which it took me a, a few minutes to get into. But once I did, it, it felt like really good, meaty, heavy type of gameplay. Um, I, I, is, so first of all, do you like it? And second, is that something that they brought from earlier games or is it new to, to the series? Diablo 1 definitely had a slower pace. Diablo 2, I guess it depends on whether you're looking at the end game or the early game. But yeah, we, we have to say this is also level 20-ish, so probably mid-game. Mid it might be different at the end game. That's a fair point. Yeah, we weren't starting at level 1. Uh, the game, the pace definitely feels slower, and a lot of people desired that, the, savoring the monster kills a little more. That said, when we first saw D3 revealed, it felt like a slower-paced game than it ended up being, so... We don't know where they're going to go. They, they did state that they do want the pace to be slower than D3 without being super slow. So we'll see how the game ends up developing. For now, the pace feels good. You know, you kill monsters fast enough, but the tougher ones you have to take a little bit longer to take down. Um, there's, yeah, there's definitely this feeling that your abilities matter when you press the button. It's not like you're going to jam it and, and it's a, uh, yeah. So that's pretty cool. I wonder, again, getting back to the, the 
uh, legacy of D2, um, people who were disappointed by um, D3, what do you think they will appreciate in this one? I'm, I'm thinking about, you know, the talent tree is back. Uh, there are, is it rune words that you can, you have one that is a conditioned rune word, and if you do something, it activates the other rune, which actually does the thing. It's, it it's seemed like a very interesting system. Is that the kind of thing that uh, those players would be looking for? Yeah, so I think three big wins, at least at first blush, were first off the dark tone, Everyone was happy with that. Everyone is still happy with that, I'm pretty sure. Then the other things were, yeah, Rune Words was one of the wins. And the other win was the, the talent tree, the skill tree type thing coming back. Now, that said, the Rune Words on closer inspection, some people are like, oh, wait, how, are, how is this going to be exactly? It's not going to be like Diablo 2 Rune Words exactly. As you said, the, the Rune implemented we've seen, it's a two Rune rune word it's not quite a rune word it's effectively you can mix and match however you want one rune creates the trigger effect in the case that we saw was you use your potion and then the next rune gives you some kind of buff or something and it seems some people were hoping for something closer to original diablo 2 rune words so i think some people will be happy that at least it's back others uh, want to see how the system will evolve you know it's still very early we haven't seen many examples of the runes but that's to be determined. And then same thing with the, the talent tree, the skill trees. You know, the first impression is, yes, this is something that I want. The exact implementation, people are, some people like it, some people want to see something different. But the devs seem very open and receptive to feedback on how to possibly change things going forward. Yeah, and it is very early, you're right. Uh, we have no release date, uh, not even a date for beta, which I was a little bit disappointed by because when they announced Overwatch, they at least said beta next year, which ended up being the end of next year, of the year after that. But, I mean, it was a year between the announcement and the beta, but here, didn't say anything. So we'll see, it might still uh, show up. Um, last uh, thing, any additional uh, thing that you think is worth mentioning about the game? Something you noticed? Something you appreciated um, that we didn't talk about? I guess lore-wise, the story is looking like it's going to be really cool. I don't know where things are going. They've jumped ahead after Diablo 3 by a few decades, so we're, we're getting those really dark themes. We're getting, again, a world with no clear heroes and sometimes evil wins. That's something that Diablo fans really like from the past. D3's story was very much an epic hero story with uh, just those themes of good winning and vanquishing evil. And that didn't feel like what Diablo was always about. There was always that Pyrrhic victory where, yes, maybe you win, but at a great cost. Something bad ends up happening. And I feel they've completely nailed the, the correct themes and vibes in D4. It, it certainly seems quite dark, and even the quests... For me, the, the graphics aren't that different from Diablo 3. It feels like a very upgraded version, but the way they handle the text, the, the quests, the uh, interactions, like there's this quest with the son that wants to go in the drowned cave and then he does, there's a sacrifice there and then he dies anyway and it's, ah, it's terrible. But uh, yeah, looks pretty good. So thanks uh, for spending the time. If people want to check out your channel, how do they spell Riker, I guess, or how do they find you? Yeah, well, thanks for having me. Uh, you can find me R-H-Y-K-K-E-R on YouTube, on Twitter, on Twitch. Just Google search the R-H-Y-K-K-E-R and you'll find me. Cool. I'll put your uh, Twitter handle in the show notes as I always do. Thank you very much. Thank you. All right. Let's talk about Overwatch 2. This is a weird one. Um, it 
was announced with a wonderful uh, cinematic, as always, with uh, the feeling of the Avengers coming back together after having been disbanded, which was really cool. And uh, it does include, or it focuses, actually, on PvE elements, which is obviously what was rumored, and it's, it turned out to be true. But um, before I get into the PvE elements, let's talk a little bit about the sequel structure of uh, Overwatch, which is very strange. So Overwatch 2 will bring a number of new PvP elements, meaning new heroes, new modes, new maps. It is a big pack of, PvE st of PvP stuff. But all of it will be accessible in Overwatch 1. And the client will be the same for Overwatch 1 and Overwatch 2 once Overwatch 1 launches. So all of it is already in Overwatch 1, meaning it will be accessible in Overwatch 1, even if you don't get Overwatch 2. And it seems from what they're saying that this is going to continue going forward. So while uh, those things are coming with Overwatch 2, it's really a big pack for Overwatch 1 if you own Overwatch 1. Um, it's obviously great because you don't split the player base, the Overwatch League can continue functioning, etc., etc. But even the UI changes, not the graphics engine, but the UI changes of um, Overwatch 2 will be included in Overwatch 1. So essentially, once Overwatch 2, Overwatch 2 launches, you get Overwatch 1's, uh, Overwatch 1 gets upgraded into the new client, and the PvE mode from Overwatch 2, I guess, appears somewhere, but you don't have access to it uh, unless you buy Overwatch 2. So while Overwatch 2 brings a lot of things with PvE and PvP, the, they they are already available to players who have Overwatch, Overwatch 1, which I suspect is a lot of people. Um, and they didn't talk about the price structure. They didn't say if uh, Overwatch 2 will be a full-priced game, if player who already own Overwatch 1 will get a discount um, for Overwatch 2 or anything like that. So... It is definitely a strange way to think about a, a sequel for a game since people who already have the first one are going are gonna to get a huge amount of what's going to be uh, available in the second one. So we'll have, I'm sure we, have, we will have a lot more questions about this and uh, we will have over the years until it comes out. We don't know exactly when it comes out, but uh, we suspect it's not going to be probably not next year, maybe towards the end of the year, but uh, probably not. Well, I mean, a, a year off, I could see it possibly starting a beta or something like that. Um, which brings us to the question of what happens to Overwatch 1 until Overwatch 2 uh, is released. And they said that uh, they are working on new things for the first one before the second one comes out. So they, there will be at least one new hero. There are a few uh, tweaks in modes, etc. So at least one new hero. We can imagine maybe two new heroes, which would mean if the game comes out in a year, um, it would 
be reasonably populated for the first one as well. The big worry was, of course, that uh, the first one would be stale uh, as we wait for the second one. But they pointed out, we've been working on Overwatch 2 for a while, and we did get uh, some a reasonable amount of updates in Overwatch 1, even as we were working in Overwatch 2. So this might not, that might not change a huge amount. Um, so, I mean, not change a huge amount, meaning uh, it, the rhythm might not be that different from what was happening um, over the last year or two or something like that. So, all right, that is what happens to Overwatch 1. And now let's talk about the PvE aspects of Overwatch 2. Of course, this has been a um, very much requested aspect of uh, the game and the franchise, and uh, people are very excited to have a PvE uh, experience for Overwatch 2. The key element, as I often say in these games, is that you need replayability. And this is the reason that I'm not sure we can really judge um, what we played or what they talked about for Overwatch 2. Because as fun as one mission might be, the key element in a game that you're going to be playing um, solo or with friends, um, solo meaning uh, grouped with strangers or with friends, against the computer in PvE... The key thing is how much you're going to want to replay those missions and to replay them many, many times as you do in games like, you know, Diablo, World of Warcraft, uh, Destiny, any kind of game like this. Um, and we don't know a lot about that. The incentives to replayability are always progression. And they did say they have a lot of ideas on progression. They understand the importance of progression and uh, the pursuit of cool, uh, shiny items that make you stronger, which is what motivates players in those uh, things. But um, they didn't have a lot of details. They showed talents, which were three tiers with two choices per tier, which is, you know, can create some really interesting combinations, but there wasn't um, anything more than that. Um, and so this is not to say that this is kind of the caution to um, keep in mind, but this is not to say that the mode we got to try and what they were talking about wasn't um, exciting, because it definitely was. The mission that we got to play was a lot more... Um, developed and involved than those we see in Overwatch 1 for the PvE um, seasonal events. And that's obviously something that is good to hear um, because those don't have a lot of replayability, in my opinion. So the, the, the mission we got to play had structures. Um, it, was, it had a good rhythm to it. You had bosses that would appear here and there, some um, interaction between the heroes voice interaction and some cutscenes before and after um, you had some mechanics that would evoke uh, some kind of dungeon light type of uh, mechanics uh, with phases in combat and things like that which were you know it worked it was it was fun and the uh, using the abilities of the heroes uh, especially in that PvE context where they I, they are modified to be a little bit more interesting, um, it was satisfying, and you would absolutely have fun playing it 
um, in that context. So I was quite uh, happy to see that, and I am excited to try uh, more of it. Um, it it the, the the way the structure of the game is going to work is that you're going to have essentially a campaign or story um, mode where you're going to go through all of the um, uh, missions in story missions mode and you're going to have a set number of um, uh, heroes that you can choose for each mission because it makes sense with the story. Maybe you're going to have uh, one set of four or two set of fours or four uh, or three, but you're not going to have like any, you can't use any hero you want. So that will be the story progression. And those missions don't have a lot of replayability in them. That's not what you're thinking there. You're just playing through the mission. And that definitely can be something fun um, for all types of players. And I'll get back to people who don't like PvP in a second. But the core of the game is going to be the hero missions, where you have the variety in those missions. So you have access to all of the story missions, uh, supposedly, and they are uh, not randomized, but there's a lot of um, changes and alternate ways things can go. So you can have uh, different types of enemies. They took the example of Null Sector, which is the Omnic group, big robots, and uh, Talon, which is this uh, antagonist group in the world of Overwatch, and there will be more. So those come with different types of enemies, etc., etc. There will be multiple types of uh, objectives, possibly even on the same maps. So there you have another type of uh, uh, variety that can be introduced. And there are a number of other elements, so that each mission is different from the next, even if it's on the same map or etc. So that is um, one element of uh, variety that you will go through when it looks like an overworld and you will, it's not quite a world map, but uh, something like that. Um, and then you have the progression system that will motivate you to keep going. And it's true that the um, examples they gave in the talent quote-unquote builds um, were really interesting ways of using, that were satisfying ways of using the characters and their abilities. So that's something I'm definitely looking forward to seeing more of. Um, they didn't talk about anything like items or appearances or skins or anything like that. I am pretty sure those will exist in the PvE world. Um, I don't know, I mean... Items, uh, cosmetic items, it's, it's pretty certain. Um, the ability altering or characteristics or stats altering items, that's less certain. It might happen, but uh, it seems a little bit more tricky given the many, many different heroes. But maybe. Uh, they didn't talk about this. I feel like, uh, I guess if I need to summarize my uh, feelings about the progression they showed, if it's only the talent, uh, the talent, the three times two talents, I feel it won't be motivating enough um, for replayability. So I think they would need more than this, but we'll see. I'm sure they are aware of this, or at least they told us very clearly they were aware of it. And uh, to conclude, oh, actually, before I, I finish uh, the, the segment, 
I do want to talk about the engine, um, which is a, it's not an entirely new graphics engine. It is a, uh, an improved version of the existing engine. And while um, you can see the improvements when you look at the uh, things relatively closely, it still feels very much like Overwatch and it doesn't feel like a quantum leap. <laughs> um, it feels like the graphics are just cranked up a little bit, but not uh, entirely different or super improved um it's still nice to have of course and it seems like in the stills and in the um cinematic moments it will be even more um viable to for storytelling purposes so that's pretty cool um and yeah the thing i wanted to say uh to to finish this segment is uh to talk about people who don't like pvp um I'm sure there are a lot of you out there. Um, you maybe even tried the Overwatch game and thought, you know what, that I'm good. I don't want to rage at strange people from the internet um, who are killing me repeatedly. Uh, I'm. I would love to just play something chill with my friends or even with strangers at a chill pace against the computer. Well, the the thing that really shines in this game is the heroes and they are going to shine even brighter in a pve mode and i think there are a lot of people probably many of you listening right now who are thinking you know what that is what i want i absolutely want um to be in that world have fun with these many colorful heroes and um just just not have to worry about the getting better, competitive, super hardcore part of it. And uh, hopefully that will deliver. The If progression is there, again, you keep gearing me talking about progression because that's what makes replayability, um, then it could be a, a really interesting long-term game. Of course, even if that's not the case, it could be that um, the single-player campaign, or rather the story uh, campaign, uh, could be fun for, for everyone. And um, while it is not MMO destiny, like super um, uh, uh, 100% PvE focused, uh, I, I think even in Overwatch 2, because the PvP uh, part is really present still, I think from what I gather, uh, it you can look at it as a uh, um, more of a Left 4 Dead type game than a um, you know MMO type game and uh, <laughs> there's a lot of fun to be had in that kind of game um, especially since you have the variety with the heroes and the uh, personality that comes through and um, the actually you know I say left for dead but it's uh, more than that it's like it's like left for dead plus because there are a lot of um other elements that come on top of that basic um, cooperative mission succession type of game. So I'm um, uh, optimistic. Uh, it is looking pretty good. I'm excited to uh, see and hear more about it. And uh, for the Overwatch 1 side of things, it seems like a great addition uh, um, of a lot of things that a big chunk that will come when Overwatch 2 releases um, and for the Overwatch 2 side of it I, I would love I would love 
for this to be uh, something that I can jump into when I don't want to deal with the stress of um, competition and just want to progress a character and have fun feeling super overpowered um, by tweaking all of the abilities that I've learned and uh, that I love in um, the balanced part, uh, PvP part. So yeah, Overwatch 2 looks pretty cool and I really can't wait. You all know Overwatch is my main game, I guess, between this and Destiny. That's how I get my game as a service fixes and it's been for years. And so obviously something like Overwatch 2 is uh, something that I cannot wait to see more of. So yeah, Overwatch 2 looks pretty cool. All right, so we're here uh, with the hosts of the Q&A session that just ended for World of Warcraft, the world-famous Taliesin and Evitel. How's it going? How do you feel? Relieved. And um, I'm at that really interesting stage where I basically just can't wait to get drunk now. <laughs> you know, like, obviously, I feel when I wake up in the morning, I'm like, ah, I quite like to get drunk now. And then by lunchtime, like, I really like to get drunk now. But now I've, I've never wanted to get drunk more in my life than after we finished that Q&A. Uh, how about you? Do you want to get drunk? <laughs> oh my gosh, I really wish I could right now. I'm super <laughs> jealous. I um, also just want to note we are now Evitel and Taliesin, in case that wasn't clear from the Q&A. <laughs> I believe uh, you will need to change the channel, the channel's name. Uh, so World of Warcraft Shadowlands was announced at BlizzCon. You are uh, knowers of World of Warcraft. What do you think about what was announced for this expansion? I'm going to start with Evitel. I'm super excited. It sounds like a bit much when I say it out loud, but it feels like a new game in so many ways, having all these new mechanics, kind of new approaches. Um, we were a little bit worried in the beginning when we kind of just saw the uh, first panel and it just said, okay, new zones are coming. Um, but after kind of seeing the what's next, the deep dives, um, I'm really excited for Shadowlands, I have to admit. All the customization options are really appealing to me. Um, and seeing those big changes uh, in kind of classes, kind of class fantasy, um, moving away a little bit from specs, I have a few questions about. But um, overall, I'm really excited. Yeah, it seems like they're focusing on uh, uh, player agency and only a few features that are going to be more significant than maybe what we saw. I remember when we saw the announcement for Battle for Azeroth, obviously we were all excited uh, uh, because, you know, we're shills for Blizzard. But there was like this, oh, there's this feature. What, what is it? I'm not too sure. This one, the Warfronts, what, what is this? Now it seems like there are like three really solid uh, uh, things and a return to maybe thoughts they had putting a, a classic together uh, more difficulty more player agency less rng um yeah what, what did you think taliesin uh yeah i second that i mean that's what they say when it comes to player agency and and uh, you know it's it's easy to say that and i guess we'll see as the beta comes out when these things uh, start to take shape i would say that um anima and the the soul binded kind of uh talent trees are the equivalent of say the warfronts um from the bfa reveal in that we think we kind of know what they are, but we don't really know what they are. And it will be when we know what they are that we know what the expansion is. And, and so there's that kind of thing just in the back of everyone's mind at the moment, which is kind of unknowable. Uh, and the thing that will be getting the most attention, I suspect, be the least explained thing until it's actually there in the beta and we can see for ourselves. Uh, but 
even if it is all talk, it's good talk, um, and it's it's words that you want to hear. Things like agency and choice, and uh, the idea of your four different covenants that you uh, kind of uh, pick one, and that will affect not just your abilities, but the actual way your character looks and and the story that it goes on, and and, and that kind of return to a more RPG based sort of um, uh, basis for the game is is something that. I think generally most of the player base is in favor of completely. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, something I, I usually dislike, like, oh, they finally listened. It's like, I think they were listening for a long time. They tried different things, and then they, they course correct if they have to. Uh, but certainly, yeah, it feels like there are things that people were asking for that they are implementing. Um, what about that, that Tower of Korgath roguelike? Like, that seems like an entire mini game uh in itself i'm quite excited um it seems you're not you're like nodding your head in a lateral way i'm excited because I, i like roguelikes but i like good roguelikes you know i mean and, and so i mean if it's if it needs to be good and it needs to be well done and it needs to have a reason for me to spend two years i can't think of a roguelike that i've played for two years um going back and doing it and we just asked in the q a now you know can you win the tower is there a win state which uh, the the answer was non-committal enough to mean no um so you know is this never ending thing which you can go in with uh, friends or, or by yourself but you you are never going to win it is always just a, a a kind of a setting a high score essentially and I, i i wonder if that is the main kind of gameplay loop of end game that's that's my worry really if, if they expect that to kind of hold people's attention at Endgame and kind of hold off on lots of good story or, or covenant campaigns and, and things like that. That would be my, that's my, that's my worry at the moment. Um, we have uh, the covenants that we have to choose to align with. That's going to give some uh, player abilities. We have um, the, 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 what, yeah, the, the Tower of Korgath. We're going to have the dungeons, raids, all of the classic stuff, world quests. Is there something that you uh, are more excited about than the rest? Uh, I'm talking about Endgame because then the leveling stuff was all revamped, but uh, like in Shadowlands. Um, I'm really excited about that covenant system, actually, um, because it feels a little bit unknown at the moment. Um, but I'm, I'm keen to see how those uh, perks you get from the covenant play out. And uh, actually, if it's possible to change them at any point, like how permanent those choices are. Um, but, you know, I'm really simple. I see a really good cloak or an alternative to a cloak, and I'm like, yeah, that sounds good. Or it's like, ooh, I can be a little fox that runs around. Like, I know, it, I know it's so basic, but um, I'm, I'm really excited for that. Yeah, but you know that's not the optimum talent group, though. Yeah, but look at the cloak. I'm exactly the same. And I, I want to be able to make my choice based entirely on which cloak I like best or which helmet I like best or which ability just feels better without being optimal. Um, and I, I, hope that things, <laughs> I hope things are well-balanced enough uh, that that can be a thing. You know, I want, I want my choice to be based on the RPG factor and how I feel with those abilities and how much fun they are for me rather than reading a guide in Wowhead. <laughs> but, I, but I think there is the risk that there will be an optimum covenant, you know, class choice um, that works and that will be recommended and then, you know, you'll see everyone looking like the same thing. I hope that's not the case. I understand getting that balance right is really, really challenging. Um, but I hope it's not the case that we're all just looking at a WoWhead article and choosing the same one. I think to a certain extent that that's unavoidable. There's always going to be some of that. But uh, they did mention that you're also going to have your ally, companion, what's the name of that? Blood 
relative, <laughs> blood friend, um, which is going to uh, get into that whole talent system which he mentioned, which is also linked to the Covenant. So maybe things can be balanced. They have a number of uh, knobs to, to play with. Um, something that I was kind of surprised uh, by and, and excited about was the idea that the end game zone is going to be more challenging, more difficult. They did put a lot of emphasis on you're going to go there and you're probably going to die and you have to be careful. And again, this seems influenced by um, uh, the, 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 what they rediscovered in Classic. Um, I, I, I'm curious about it, but I also am not someone who is super excited about Classic because I don't like dying all the time. Um, what do you think about that difficulty uh, in the endgame zone? Um, you compare it to Classic, which is interesting, because for me, the exciting thing about that is how, how completely different it is from Classic. Um, in, in Classic, you pull some mobs, and if you pull too many, they will kill you. Uh, the systems within the moor sound a lot more interesting. You know, you kill a mob, and that gets the jailer's attention, and he will send a, a mob out looking for you. I always thought it'd be really cool if that happened in sort of world quests and stuff. If you did too many world quests, there'd be an assassin that just came out looking for you, and it used that AI to kind of hunt you down through the map. And that sounds like that kind of thing, which sounds super interesting to me. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that that's, in theory, a, a really interesting and, and uh, diverse system. So, hopefully... It'll be great. I think, you know, we all say that we'd like a zone which kicks our ass and, and, and a kind of uh, is very difficult and the enemies hit hard. And But that did kind of happen in Nashasar when we first got there and it turned out people didn't like it so much after all. So, I mean, that's the thing. You're always trying to second guess the player base um, a little bit. But um, so far, this expansion is doing a very good job of answering the complaints that people had about the previous expansion, which is what a lot of expansions tend to do, and sometimes it works really well, like in, in Legion, coming from WAD, and sometimes it's the obsession with answering the criticisms of the previous expansion that uh, end up uh, causing the problems, like with Azerite Armor. If you look at Azerite Armor in BFA, nearly every single feature of that was designed to specifically answer a criticism about artifact weapons, um, to the extent that it, it, it kind of formed the identity of that gear more than it should have done and, and, and it's one of the things that caused so many problems I think so hopefully they're answering the right criticisms in this one and not you know not just telling us what we want to hear and giving us good systems and, and gameplay as well um, the other thing I want to talk about for a little bit is the revamp of the leveling uh, uh, process for alts. They, they really um, focused on the fact that when you level through the game once, you're going to have a certain experience, and then it's going to be a lot easier uh, significantly, in significant ways. You're going to have more, much more choice in how you approach things, and uh, especially for the old world content, beyond the fact that they are squishing the level to 60, which for if some people listening to this are not very much into World of Warcraft, it, it probably is going to seem a lot more approachable. Um, and then, so you play through a, an introductory experience that's going to be review, revamped, and then you choose which expansion you're going to go through for your entire 50 levels of, of leveling, uh, starting with, um, with Shadowlands. Thoughts, good, bad? Uh, I think it's a nice introduction for a new player. And if, and if I understood correctly, when if you first start playing, you level up 1 to 10 in kind of the new leveling zone they have. Yeah, you have to, and then you have a choice. Um, but is it then that you're supposed to level through BFA? Yeah, you have to if you're new. Yeah. You have to level through BFA if you're new. Yeah, that's the, that's the expansion that you have to level through. The idea being that you have a shared history with current players then as well. Right. 
And I, I think that's really interesting because as someone, you know, who has come in and out of World of Warcraft over the past few years, well, few years I've been more on it, but earlier on, <laughs> you know, I'd kind of drift in and out and I really didn't keep up with the story. I didn't really know what was happening. It didn't matter because I was kind of in my own RPG world. Um, but I think that's really valuable to a new player. And then, of course, once you get through that experience, you want to do it again, you can then choose any expansion that you want to go through. Even if you don't really know anything about those expansions, I feel like the kind of chromey intro um, that was being talked about um, gives you a flavor maybe of what those different expansions look like and feel like, and then you decide, okay, I like um, ice and dragons, um, you know, I'm going to play Wrath of the Lich King. Um, or if you, you know, prefer something else, you can go in a different direction. Um, I, think it's, I think it's really nice. It's, it, it narrows down some choices for you in a really productive way. Yeah, it seems like it will, uh, it will enable people to get kind of, if they, if they like, alts and play uh, leveling different characters, they're going to be able to have almost a, a different playthrough, a different game uh, for every character. That's a pretty clever way of doing it. I liked the scaling, but this is not bad either. Um, okay, last thing. More broadly, this BlizzCon, um, what did you think of the show? What do you think of the mood? What are you taking away from it? Um, yeah. We've actually managed to see more of BlizzCon than we usually do this year because usually we're left to our own devices and we get very paranoid about having to make content. So everything we see, we go and see the opening ceremony and then we run back to the hotel room and we make a video and we put it out and that kind of costs us seeing various panels and things. Um, we're on a very tight kind of official schedule this year, so it's actually being incredibly freeing for us to uh, be able to go and see more than we would. Um, and it's been a huge BlizzCon, some, some you know incredibly uh, significant announcements and things. I... And with um, Evertel, I was actually surprised at how underwhelmed I felt by the initial Shadowlands um, announcement. Obviously, the, the cinematic that went with it was incredible. But uh, yeah, just knowing so little about it from the features trailer and everything I've seen about the expansion since, the two uh, big panels that explained everything, has, has taken my hype up again significantly. So I feel like it's just the beginning of BlizzCon right now. It's not. It's definitely right at the end. But I, I've got that kind of, uh, you know, just out of the uh, opening ceremony kind of buzz of hype about me now. For, for kind of the first time. Um, now that I feel comfortable in you know, uh, being very optimistic that we're going to have a quality World of Warcraft expansion coming, which is the most important thing to me as a player. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm feeling super happy about it now. And I think there's been, uh, particularly today, a really great atmosphere around the place as well. Yeah, it's interesting. It's kind of like an inverted experience to 2017 where, you know, you, you get the opening ceremony, you get this amazing BFA cinematic. People are just, like, losing it completely. Uh, and then afterwards, you're still riding that high, but you're like, um, I don't really know what else is in there. What features. Yeah, what's, what's happening? What are these things? Like, uh. um, And then you kind of leave and it's over and the next day and you're fine. Whereas, you know, I woke up this morning and then I was, you know, reflecting a bit on what I'd heard and I was like, oh, yeah actually, this sounds good. It makes me stop and think about it a little bit. But when I, when I do that, actually, I'm, re I'm more excited than I was at the very beginning. So I'm with Taliesin on this. Yeah, I think that's a feeling many people share. And the deep dives and the explanations of the feature were like, oh, okay, this, this actually sounds cool. And I was not very hyped beyond the cinematic. Um, but now I'm a little bit more, or quite a bit more so. Much more so. Uh, about 73%. Nice. Good. Uh, that's a good odd. That's a good ratio. I like it. All right. Well, thank you very much. I'll let you go uh, enjoy your burgers, and I will talk to you soon. Bye.
Thank you, Patrick. Pleasure. Thanks, Patrick. Hey, so let's talk a little bit about Hearthstone. Um, I am not a big Hearthstone player anymore. I played it intensively for a few years, but I haven't really touched it for a while. And so the updates were really interesting for me to approach as a, uh, you know, a lapsed player, let's say. And the doubly interesting thing is that I am also not an auto-battler uh, player. Auto-battler, of course, is auto-chess, uh, the mod, and Dota Underlords, and Teamfight ta Tactics, this genre that has been sweeping the nations and uh, gaining a lot of popularity over the past year, I guess I would say, if you count the initial obscure mod that uh, became super, super popular and inspired all this. And um, so on the, I'll talk briefly about the um, expansion, The Descent of Dragons, which, you know, there isn't a huge amount to say for people who are not into Hearthstone. It's a new expansion, par for the course, uh, new keywords, new interesting mechanics. But if you're not into the game already, if you are, um, you're going to be happy. If you're not... This is probably not going to bring you back to uh, the game. So I don't think it's worth spending too much time on that, because if you like Hearthstone, you're probably already super excited about it, and you already know everything I could tell you about it, and probably better <laughs> than what I do, uh, than what I know. So let's leave Descent of Dragons aside for a little bit and talk a little bit more about uh, Hearthstone Battlegrounds. Uh, as I mentioned, the game is inspired by the auto battler genre. Now, for those who don't know what that is, it came from the MOBA. Um, uh, uh, well, I, I think it came from Dota 2, actually, specifically. Um, and it's a mode where you choose um, minions and uh, creatures uh, that you set up in a strategic way and that then do auto battle. Um, initially, it was called auto chess because it was placed on a chessboard like um, board. And so you choose minions and then they go out and do battles. They have the animations. And so the strategy comes in choosing the, the, the creatures you're going to use and uh, choosing where you're going to place them, stuff like that. In Hearthstone, it's, it translates uh, pretty well because of the strategy aspects of the game to begin with. And they already have all the elements that they can put together, tweak a little bit to create something like that with multiple rounds, uh, of course. And the way it's implemented in Hearthstone is that it is an entirely new mode. It actually uh, takes a spot in your new modes button in your UI. And uh, so you have the arena on one side and battlegrounds on the other. And battlegrounds is uh, a, an eight player mode. So you start the game and you get a choice between two or three um, heroes that are completely new, that have new hero powers and uh, sometimes a little bit wacky or more a little bit different from what you see in the regular heroes. And um, so it's an eight character, uh, an eight player um, bat, uh, free for all battle. And uh, it is 
set in turns. So there are uh, phases. The first phase, you choose the minions you can get from the uh, tavern um, uh, uh, from the tavern UI. Uh, you have uh, an amount of coins that you can use, and they increase increase every turn, of course. And you can upgrade your tavern so that it gives you more powerful minions. So you will start with a couple of tiny uh, creatures, and as the turns um, uh, advance, you will get more and more powerful creatures. So you get a couple of minions, you place them on the board, then you, pr you wait for the um, end of the initial round or the, the initial phase, and it starts with a battle against one of the other seven players. It goes automatically. Each minion attacks as set, uh, uh, others in a set order, and the combat resolves. If you have minions left and they don't, then you do damage to uh, their hero and they lose a few hit points. And then you go back to the, um, to the tavern phase where you choose to buy other minions. You can sell the ones you have to buy more powerful ones. And it started again with a battle against another um, opponent. And it keeps going until you are the last one standing. So I guess a little bit of Battle Royale there. Well, not really. It's, it's auto chess. Um, so this is a um, longer mode than the traditional Hearthstone battles. I would say, well, <clears throat> of course, if you lose quickly, um, it will only take 5 to 10 minutes. But if you don't, I would suspect it can take... 20 to 25 minutes. It can be a little bit longer. So um, that's one element of it. But the other one is that it is an interesting implementation of auto chess in that um, it, it works in the context of Hearthstone. It is strategic and it is um, maybe easier to play um, because the choices you make them initially and then you don't have to agonize on on each uh, action that you take during the turns so well i mean i don't want to say it's easier to play that's not the case but it's a different use of the skills the strategic skills you develop in hearthstone and um it was different enough from hearthstone the base game that to me, a lapsed player, I thought, you know what, I might want to give this a try, which is interesting because I have never been interested in uh, auto chess and auto battlers. I downloaded a couple of them and was quite confused, although I was quite confused in uh, <laughs> Battlegrounds as well. But it was a little bit more familiar, and uh, of course, they're going to have more of a tutorial when uh, the, the feature launches. It's coming very soon, by the way. In Next week, it's going to be available in closed beta for the people who are at BlizzCon and who have the virtual ticket. And the week after that, it's open beta, so essentially, it's done. Um, well, not done, but I mean, it's, ac it's accessible to everyone. And um, it is something that is... A different experience. It's still cards, it's still uh, strategy, and still turn-based, but it's not a card game. So it's a weird hybrid of everything, and uh, the humor of Hearthstone comes through, and it, it's uh, something that I'm going to keep my eye on, because it was uh, um, uh, some, you know, it was, yeah, it was 
interesting in a way that I didn't think it would be when it was first um, announced. So we'll see. It's coming very soon. The other thing I wanted to touch on was um, the idea that, uh, well, the, the business model. So the way it's going to work is that you get access to the full game for free. Um, and that is something where you cannot buy any sort of advantage. Um, there is, so this is also a departure for uh, Hearthstone. You, the, what you can get, if you wish to, is... Um, Okay, if you want to be super anal about it, you can buy an advantage. That's how it works. Uh, this is how it works. So you get access to the game. And if you have a certain amount of packs from the latest expansion, from the current expansion, then you get a few perks. You get more stats about your uh, game. So more visibility on how you're doing, which I guess could technically be an advantage. And things like uh, when you first start, you have a choice between two heroes if you don't have those perks and between three heroes if you have those perks. So it's still randomized, but you get to target it a little bit more if you have bought enough packs of the current expansion. So again... It's the current expansion, meaning every time a new expansion comes out, if you haven't purchased the packs, then you don't get access to the, you lose access to the perks, even if you had them in the previous expansion. So it encourages people to actually play the other side of the game and purchase um, uh, packs. But it's very minor, uh, or it seems like very minor uh, things that you get in exchange for in exchange for those. So unless you're very much into it, um, you could completely get access to the full, uh, the fullest version of a mode that you would get without paying anything. So it's really accessible. Um, so yeah, I think this is a, a clever way of extracting money from players. Um, so it's definitely something that they are, you know, uh, thinking about the, the monetization of this mode, but keeping it relatively um, accessible and money-free if you don't want to uh, pay for that. So um, yeah, this this was an interesting one. It was oh, my alarm is sounding. All right, I guess I have to wake up then. <laughs> um yeah so that was uh that was more interesting than i thought it would be and that's hearthstone at blizzcon 2019 and that is it for the uh blizzcon 2019 episode special uh, special episode uh, it was a good conference um it wasn't overwatch 2 uh, sorry it wasn't overwatch 1 announcement it wasn't like the the biggest blizzcon ever it was definitely the the second one and for people who want who like diablo it was probably the best one ever but um it is um uh it was a good conference it was uh, a lot of fun i had a, a lot of good times hanging out with people uh, that i know and enjoy um and it's always a special time blizzcon is peculiar um, and there has been, of course, a lot of negativity, and I'm sure there there's a lot of negativity still about Blizzard and all of that. But honestly, I feel like um, the way things went, the way JL and Brack let his hair down, 
made jokes about uh, the the memes of us wanting or not wanting um, WoW Classic, the self-awareness, the fact that he seemed human, which is super important because he's the face of the company now and he was looking so robotic before. He was unlikable and there he was likable. This is key. This is super important. And with that, the, the, the public face of the company and the games that are coming back finally and in troves, a lot of them, very exciting stuff, very promising stuff. This is not Blizzard having completely turned it around, but I think it was Blizzard turning a corner from the past two or three years. Um, remember, Overwatch came out in 2016? Yeah, 2016, I think, or 2015. Um, th that wasn't so long ago, so the, the negativity around Blizzard isn't like, you know, 10 years old. Um, but still, um, I think this is a turning of, of a corner. Now, what they do from here... We don't know. We'll have to wait and see. They can start um, regaining the uh, community's love. Um, they, they could potentially mess it up again. We'll see. But I really think, especially at BlizzCon, and of course, you know, it's the people who are the most engaged uh, of the fans. Although, if last year is anything to go by, you know that they can also turn on uh, the company if they mess up. Um, but this year, it felt like everyone was super positive. Everyone had um, just great stuff to say, and uh, everyone was happy to be here. And that was, that was great to be part of. Um, I was very happy to have come this year. Um, I, I'm excited about everything they announced. And um, I can't wait to see what's next for Blizzard Entertainment. That's going to be it for this episode. I'm not Patrick on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. I am. Uh, if you want to comment on this episode, just feel free at frenchspin.com. And we'll be back in a, I don't know when exactly, a good 10 days, uh, roughly, something like that, a couple of weeks. Uh, because there is still a lot of things happening in the world of gaming. It's uh, the end of the year and there are tons of games coming out. So we'll talk about all of those in the next episode. Thanks for listening. I love you all and uh, talk to you soon. Botox Cosmetic, out botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.